Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Wavebreak Podcast. I'm your host, Dylan Kelly, founder of Wavebreak. We help Shopify stores stop leaking revenue with done-for-you email marketing. I'm coming off a cold. I got. I, I just finished bragging about how I haven't gotten sick since last year. I think that was two weeks ago that I made that. I made that little brag. Um, actually, I think I told a few people. But anyway, I told these people. I said, yeah, I haven't gotten sick since last year. It's been great. And what do you know? I woke up with a sore throat. Probably, it was probably the very next day. I woke up with a sore throat. And that sucked. Popped a lot of pills. A leave. Uh, just one every six hours. Um, so nothing, <laughs> nothing crazy. Healed from the sore throat. Now the sickness has evolved from a sore throat to now I have a cough and I have a um, a runny nose. The runny nose is kind of stopping, but the cough is kind of kicking up. So I have a great, fantastic illness right now. Uh, <laughs> but that that's where I'm at. Otherwise, besides that, though, I'm doing fantastic, everybody. I'm doing great. And on this show, I have a great episode for you guys. Um, so super fun to interview Michael, and I'm going to explain what we talk about in a second. But that has brightened my mood. That has gotten me back. It has given me a kick. Michael's a great guy. And on this show, I interview great guys like Michael and males and females and everybody. I interview them every single week. I interview people behind the top businesses in the e-commerce industry, and I get them to share their secrets. And if you're enjoying this podcast, if you've been listening for a while, or if you listen to this episode and you really enjoy it, you can subscribe on iTunes, or there's a link down in the show notes below of this episode where you can sign up for my podcast email list. It's down in the show notes below. I'll notify you every time a new episode drops. And this podcast is brought to you by Wavebreak, my e-commerce email marketing agency that works exclusively with Shopify and Shopify Plus stores. If your email marketing isn't on point, folks, I'm beating a dead horse here. Listen, if your email marketing isn't on point for Black Friday, is it ever going to be? You should probably reach out to me if you haven't. Uh, we can just start a conversation and explain, you know, some strategies, some ideas for your store for this Black Friday. Uh, I'm not going to sell you anything right away. All my clients right now are getting at least a 10x ROI, and I want to keep it that way. I'm not going to bring you on if I can't make you a ton of money um, and take email off your plate and save you a ton of, ton of time as well. Um, so if you want to increase your email revenue and you want to save time while doing it, hit me up. Go to wavebreak.co, schedule a call with me, and we can chat about how you can stop leaving so much money on the table with done for your email marketing. I feel like I'm beating a dead horse. Black Friday is seriously coming up. It's going to be here before you know it, and you're running out of time to get your email set up. Like You need to get these planned out in advance. Like I, You're not going to be able to send an email on Cyber Monday and get the same results you would if you planned out a whole sequence and strategy, you know, in September for Black Friday. So if that's you, schedule a call with me and we'll just talk. To do that, head over to wavebreak.co to learn more. And now for what you came for, B2B e-commerce growing from zero to seven figures in less than two years. So today I'm joined by Michael Hillel. He's the founder of a company called Sunhaven, and they're an outdoor furniture and manufacturing and e-commerce company. Uh, They started just last year, and it's already a seven-figure business. They've been growing extremely fast, and inside today's conversation, Michael is sharing how they've grown so fast, as well as um, a really interesting strategy that he shares about how he tests his products like Facebook ads. You test your Facebook ads. 
So why don't you test your products? So he does that. He's finding out what sells best in the early stages of his business. But as they scale in the next two to three years, he's going to know he's going to have a very solid product line. Yes, there's going to be failures, but we get into it. You're going to learn how he's going to have such a solid product line and how you can do the same. Um, He also shares the secret to getting better relationships with your suppliers. And it's something that probably a vast majority of e-commerce business owners are kind of neglecting um, or it's something they haven't done in a while, which is super important that you do this. You can be so far ahead of your competition and get better deals and better payment options. It's just a really great secret that he shared to improving his relationships with his suppliers. And he also shares his business is a uh, B2B business. Uh, mostly they're expanding into direct-to-consumer stuff, uh, but he shares how he s- finds his retail partners and how he gets in touch with them. And just a lot of great tidbits along the way. I'm super excited for this episode. Thanks so much for tuning in. And without further ado, let's just hop right into it. Thanks so much for coming on the show, Michael. Oh, of course. Thanks for having me. Happy to be here. To get started, um, can you just give listeners a little bit of a background of what Sunhaven is? Sure. So we are a manufacturing, or I should say design, uh, manufacturing, importing, and uh, distribution company uh, selling primarily outdoor furniture. Um, We sell almost all of our products on a variety of e-commerce channels that you guys are probably familiar with, um, namely Wayfair.com, Overstock.com, Hayneedle, which is owned by Walmart, Walmart, uh, basically every big online retailer that sells furniture. Awesome. Awesome. And yeah, I definitely want to dive into that. Uh, You're a lot more B2B focused. Um, instead of the direct-to-consumer route, which is something that I don't talk about much on this podcast. So I'm excited to dive into that. Now, before we get into that, tell us about yourself. Who are you and how did you get into this outdoor furniture game? Okay. Um, So I've always been interested in sales. Uh, You know, I worked in mall kiosks while I was in high school. um, And actually, while I was in college, worked for a commercial real estate company, um, representing office tenants all throughout Los Angeles. So got really good at uh, making cold calls, and interacting with people. I used to call about 150 people a day to pitch our services. After that, ended up in law school. Uh, really didn't like that, um, but ended up graduating. Uh, when I finished, I really had no clue what I wanted to do, but I always kind of wanted to design and sell product. Um, I thought the idea of somebody using something that I designed and brought to market was really, really cool. And I always kind of thought I'd be good at it. So I, once again, I had no clue what I wanted to do. So at this point, um, I'd start going to like Walmarts and Kmarts and different stores and doing retail arbitrage, basically buying stuff all over the sales racks and um, flipping it on Amazon, eBay, wherever I could to see if I could make a profit. Um, it was lightly profitable, and I was getting some footing doing that. And then while I was doing that, I bumped into a family friend who had actually been living in China. He spoke Chinese fluently um, and worked in the patio furniture industry and was basically putting deals together between uh, factories and retailers here. And we had gotten to talking. And from that, we basically started our own company, designed our first line of furniture, and brought it to market through different e-commerce channels here. Um, now we're no longer together. Uh, so that was back in 2016 when we started. So I started Sunhaven by myself uh, in July of last year. And that's basically how I got here. Nice. I love it. I love it. That's so cool. And now fast forwarding to now quick before we dive into the uh, the juicy B2B details. 
Um, can you give me a rundown of your business and where it's at now? Like, where are you now? Like, what's your revenue look like? How many, like, what's your team size? Sure. So team size is um, really interesting. I'm just a team of one. I outsource everything. Um, so, yeah. So one thing about um, selling furniture it's really, really huge. It's not like something that you can start. I mean, obviously, it's really, really big. Everything that we sell also comes fully assembled, so it takes up even more space. Oh, wow. Yeah, so it takes up even more space than a lot of the traditional um, e-com furniture people. And by the way, that's mostly because we sell to the higher-end online market, um, which you know they don't, they don't want products that they're going to have to sit and assemble for three hours, and we kind of specialize um, in serving them, servicing them with products that are both like beautiful and very, very easy to uh, use. Um, so you know, from the bat, it's not like we could open up. You know, a lot of people maybe they'll start distributing or like packaging goods out of their house and slowly grow into an office. Um, right when we started, we had to go lock down like some real logistics channels. So finding three PLs that made sense. So, you know, from that, I didn't really have to build a team as far on the, as far as the logistics side, like people that just sit around and pick and pack and stuff like that. So I was more so just kind of in charge of merchandising and building relationships with our, uh, with our distribution channels, buyers from a bunch of different stores. And then I'd kind of let the three PLs deal with everything else. And that's kind of how we've grown today um, and how we've still been able to maintain our business today. Um, obviously, I think pretty soon. So so then as far as how much we've grown um, revenue-wise, uh, revenue um, in our first year in business, we started pretty small. We, from July to the, um, from July to December of 2017, we did about $175,000 in sales. Uh, and then this year, we're on track to doing just over a million dollars. Um, and growing every month. I think this month is, might be uh, a record month for us. And yeah, that's where we are. Nice, nice. So you're, you're growing fast yeah. and you're a lean team of one. Huh? So what is, like, you say you like you like to outsource everything. Like, what are some of the things that you have delegated? Sure. So we have basically, when you sell to these marketing channels, so like I said before, first of all, the 3PL, um, picking, packing, registering orders, stuff like that, that's all done from our third-party logistics team, which is based really close to us, that we formed really tight relationships with over a year. They actually have an account manager and then two people that work under him that handle all of our orders um, every single day. Uh, what's, and also what's nice about selling a high-ticket item is that you don't really have to sell a ton of individual items to do a lot of revenue. Most of our products sell for about $1,000 wholesale. So, you know, you can do the math. It only takes a few products, a few sales a day to, uh, to, to hit a million dollars in revenue a year. So on that side, you know, we don't really need a bunch of people working on the back end. So they've been, you know, good enough for us. And that might change, obviously, as we grow. The other thing that we're responsible for is creating all of the marketing materials for these companies. So product photography, obviously getting the dimensions together for everything with furniture, that's very important. Um, and then any other marketing materials, like we do dimensional maps uh, to show customers kind of like how big, uh, how big each set that they buy is and whether or not it can fit in their backyard, which is really important for conversion. Um, so that we've got developers or I mean designers that I've found um, either through Upwork, Fiverr um, and then locally to help us with all of that. 
And then as far as the manufacturing side, we have a small team in uh, China that does all of that are independent from the factories themselves that do all of our quality control. Um, and then they're kind of paid more so on commissions as opposed to a straight salary, which helps us a lot um, reducing fixed inventory, which I think is a killer for a lot of small businesses when they start. So outside of that, there's really, you know, I'm, it's, it doesn't really take a lot of other people. I think that if I was to hire anybody else, the next step would be probably to bring in somebody that would just work on a lot of the marketing materials for us and get, and get those done really, really well. I think that would help us a lot uh, to have someone like that in house. Nice. Yeah. I like it. I like it. I like it. Like not, not trying to overcomplicate it, not trying to have a team just to have one. I dig it. And by the way, like this is a relatively low margin business. Um, especially when you're selling wholesale and especially when you're selling through these online channels, cause there's, you know, a lot of fees associated with that. Um, so I always thought, especially when I started, I wanted to limit, uh, eliminate as much, uh, fixed overhead as possible. So I just wanted to pay, um, you know, more as we sold more and kind of figure it out on the way. If it got to the point where I see that, Hey, it's not really feasible to do it like this anymore. Um, and then, yeah. And that's, that's kind of how we're doing it. Yeah, I like it. Like, wh- why did you go the, uh, the B2B route instead of going direct to consumer? So when we started out, um, my partner had worked for some companies that had done that. They sold through um, Overstock and Wayfair and a lot of these channels already. So he kind of knew what to expect. And that's just kind of that was kind of our launching point. Because we had to spend all of our money on inventory, so we didn't have a lot left over for marketing. Neither of us really knew what we were doing uh, going to direct-to-consumer, and that kind of, it really just worked. So we kept growing our presence, so our plan was really to just keep growing our presence with that, and then when I started on my own, um, I just went ahead and did the same thing. And then the other thing is, we sold so well with these, um, you know, with these companies that I didn't even have enough inventory to go around or even have enough cash to buy enough inventory to support opening up, you know, other channels, especially if they were successful. So, but now we're starting to get to the point where, um, we should be able to do that. And we are actually launching our own direct to consumer site, which should go live in the next month or two. Nice. Nice. That's cool. That's cool. Um, and yeah, that's a, that's a good problem to have the, uh, selling out all the inventory. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it was good. I mean, it's it's super stressful. I and bet. then the other thing I'll say is, yeah, it is. And um, because this stuff is so big, inventory management is so crucial in this business. If you, um, so first of all, you never want to underorder with these platforms because your partners won't be happy, and that's you know going to drastically affect your relationship um, with them because you know you're somewhat reliant on them to promote your product, and they need to feel comfortable that if they're going to spend the dollars to promote you guys in whether it is whether it's their email blasts or their targeted marketing or whatever it is that you're going to have enough inventory to sell it through and then what you also don't want to end up with is overordering your inventory because the rent on it is going to kill you the holding fees or the holding costs on products this big are gigantic so um, our motto is always from the beginning uh, walk crawl run or crawl walk run and that's kind of what we stuck to. How big is like your average? Like, I don't know, when you ship out a box, how big is the box? So an average box is about, I'm just thinking like 
you know, it could be about 40 inches by 35 inches by 35 inches would be an average box. Now we sell everything by set and an average set will ship in about five to eight of those boxes. So we're talking, yeah. So we're talking a lot of big, big, big stuff. Um, it's pretty insane to see like, like when I go to the warehouse, I'm still like, sometimes I take a look around and I'm shocked at how much product it is. And then I kind of remember, you know, uh, what the real value of it is. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. That's great. That's great. And like you were saying, like furniture is an interesting product to sell online. Like how, how do you find your retail partners? So the way that I do a lot of it um, really is the super old school way, um, cold calling and cold emailing. Um, I will go online. So I kind of know who my competitors are. And then I actually like will also look out for furniture stores or online distributors that look like we'd be a good fit. Um, I just do a ton of Google searching. Uh, and then I sometimes I'll have like a contact us tab and I'll just call and ask around until I get the right person. Or um, I'll put the company into LinkedIn, try to figure out who that person is, and then direct message them there or try to find their contact information some other way online. Um, And then basically hound them until they let us in uh, to their site. And that's kind of how we've done it from the beginning. And I think we're selling on about 10 to 12 different um, e-retailers now doing that, the sizable e-retailers. Nice. And those are sites like Hey Needle and Overstock and Wayfair. Yeah. Hey Needle, Overstock, Wayfair, uh, Build.com. We were doing business with The Mine, which was acquired by Lowe's until they just went out of business. Oh, man. Uh, Yeah. And then then we've got some other like smaller distributors that will list our products on Amazon um, and stuff like that. But yeah, that's how we kind of got. Oh, Walmart.com is another one that we're just about to sign up for and Jet.com. And then we're also vendors to house... Um, which is a pretty awesome platform. Nice, that's awesome. And, and one thing that's cool about Sunhaven is that you design all of your own products. Yes. Can you walk me through your process for, for doing that? Yeah, look, so I'm not obviously a formally trained designer. Um, I've always thought I've had a decently good eye for for product. And even from the beginning, what we did is um, kind of reverse engineered what we wanted to accomplish in the market um, according to like kind of what was already out there and what we saw was missing. So we looked, when I started with my partner, we did about three months of just research, of just reading every single review um, in our category on every single product that we thought you know was would be a competitor to the price point that we wanted to go after. We kind of figured out what the pain points were, what the customers really liked, and then designed from a functional aspect what what we thought would be would solve all of those problems that people were having. Because I think for a while, um, a lot of the a lot of the guys that were doing business online they came in they came into these companies at a point, or they started selling with Wayfair and Overstock at a point where the market wasn't really saturated, so they could kind of get away with a lot of stuff. Um, and it was obviously the price points were fantastic. I think that's a lot of why people buy furniture online these days, you know, ease aside. Um, but we thought, Hey, why can't we make stuff that not only, you know, looks good, but, but feels great. Um, the cushions aren't too flimsy. Um, the wicker is not going to fall apart after a week. So that's like designed from the functional aspect. And then 
the, you know, as far as aesthetics, all, you know, we, I do a lot of like walking different furniture stores to get, uh, to get inspired. Um, I go to a lot of trade shows all over the world. So like Germany, um, China, obviously, um, there's a big trade show in Italy that, uh, I think I'm going to go to this year, kind of get ideas. And then what I'll try to do is I'll try to re, you know, re-engineer those products in a way that'll be palatable to the American market. Um, and at a price point that people online are going to feel comfortable paying. And that's really how, how we've done it. And the truth is, it's just an ongoing process all the time. You know, I'm figuring out what works and what doesn't. And I also, it's just like people take, um, they'll run a lot of tests with, um, Facebook ads. I run a lot of tests with product line. So all, you know, all risk inventory, all, all, you know, I'll design something, see if it works. And then if it does, I'll, tr I'll, I'll like double down on it. I'll do it in a bunch of different colors. Then I'll see what the best color was that worked in that variety. And then if it doesn't, I dump it and I move on to the next line. And we just keep doing that until we find enough product that sticks. Nice. I like it. I, I love the idea of testing. That, that's huge and everything. Like we were talking about before we hopped on the call, how testing in business and like um, we, we both grew up fat boys. Um, so, yeah. so we were talking about how once we figured out you could just basically – convert your food to numbers you could test the different numbers and see how your body reacts um and it's really cool uh, how you do that with your products i think that's something that everybody knows they should be doing but sometimes it's just like ah it seems like a, a lot of extra work and taking the risk but that's really cool that you do that i think what a lot of it is also like having the patience to know because i think like a lot of people really want to hit it like big right away um because if you test product and you're like you're losing on some and you're winning on others it's gonna kind of eat your profits but what's going to happen is, and I've, I've always thought this, like over a few years of doing that, you're going to develop a really, really strong product line. And especially with a product like furniture, that the styles really don't turn over as quickly as they do in industries like fashion or technology, technology where you have to keep up um, with the technology every year. So you're constantly having to change your line. Um, I think it just makes the most sense to do it like that to build business for the long term. Absolutely. And I really like how you compared it to Facebook ads because so many people will test their Facebook ads, but I really wonder how many people are actually testing all their different products. Um, like actually testing them with a strategy and everything. Yeah. I mean, look, the bright side. So I'll tell you, like there's a downside and an upside to working with these companies. Um, so like when I sell on Wayfair, yeah, I provide the marketing materials or overstock or whatever it is. I provide the marketing materials, I provide how I want the product to be presented, but they they do all of that, you know? So while I cannot control brand ex, like brand experience and how I want the products to be presented on these sites, the only thing that the sites that I sell are my retail partners, the only thing that I can really control is the product that I'm pushing through. So when I don't really have the other stuff to worry about running tests and, and all that, um, I can focus primarily on that. And frankly, I, I just have to, otherwise my business won't grow. Yeah, totally. And now this audience is pretty established as far as the audience of the podcast, um, as far right. as like revenue and production, like, do you have any tips for a, a smoother experience? Like you've been working with a lot of overseas suppliers. Uh, do you have any tips for like, uh, I don't know, just a smoother experience? I think one thing you mentioned was uh, you have a commission team out there monitoring, th monitoring things like how, how does that work? Yes. Yeah, so, okay. My commission team that monitors is, I mean, look, I was able to find people, um, that are experienced in my industry that'll watch over, you know, my production granted we've had, a, we've had a ton of issues. So 
furniture is, you know, more of a complex product to, to manufacture than like a widget spinner is, for example. <laughs> um, so you're going to need that and you're going to run into a ton of problems. I mean, the first, the first shipment, by the way, that we ever brought in um, was completely defective and we sold out of all of it uh, in two weeks and we were just like jumping for joy and then it all got returned back to us two weeks later. Oh no. Uh, so that was a huge lesson. So over time we've kind of figured out, um, you know, what quality control it's, by the way, it's all going to take time, but we've kind of figured out, um, what quality control procedures we need to have in place on every single order. And that's kind of helped us smooth things out. But the other thing that I would say, and that really when I talk to a lot of people that I'm shocked that they don't do enough is flying to China to meet with their suppliers, you know, multiple times. Um, last year I was in China when we got our business off the ground, I went to China seven times, um, to, I went to meet different factories. I went to trade shows out there. Um, I went when the first round of production was done. I went when our first round of photo shoots were taking place. Um, and then even this year, like I go just to stop in and show my face. Uh, cause you know, I know that over there they really do value relationships. Um, the factories do, and it's really helped us strengthen our relationships, not only as far as like, you know, pushing us ahead of other people that are placing orders with these factories. Um, but you know, also giving, helping us with things like credit, um, and, you know, making sure that our products are manufactured well. Um, you know, so that part of it I think is huge. And I think it's something that people underplay. Yeah, totally. I, I, I think you're right. That's actually the first time somebody, I mean, people have talked about going to China to like find a supplier, but actually going, like you say, like, Hey, yeah, I just show up basically to show my face. Like here I am. And I, I, yeah, that's huge. That's gotta be. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it shows them that you're a serious player and you know, it's part of their culture. Um, if you're, if you want, look, and it's going to help you more so when you scale because you're, you know, at the beginning it's, it's a little bit different. You're not going to have any leverage with them, but you're going to want to build it out, especially so you can get, um, so you can get terms. Terms are huge. So like, you know, most of my orders, especially when we started, we'd have to pay huge deposits up front and then we'd have to pay the whole, uh, PO against the bill of lading, which basically, I don't know if you guys know or not, but the product gets imported and before you can even pick it up. I have to pay the factory the entire balance in order for my um, the guys that truck my inventory to my warehouse to even be allowed to take it out of customs. So now, like you know, and and that's tough because if the product is defective, you've already paid all of your money to them. So good good luck going and getting it back. Over time, we've kind of built out a relationship where they'll let me you know land the product, bring it into my warehouse, inspect it, and then I can pay them. And then you know they'll extend my terms as we grow, but. Things like that are super, super, super crucial. Right. And, and you think about how much money you pay these people, um, especially over the course of, like, if you're building a business to last, like, how much money you're going to spend on this supplier. Uh, like, it's it's worth that, you know, few thousand dollar investment to go fly over there and just hang out, even, even if you're literally just going for, like, a day. Yeah, I mean, I've done it. And the other thing I'll say is, obviously, look, you know, you got to, everyone's got to be smart about how and where to spend their money for us, you know. This was just a, I knew this was a huge component of our business and actually, yeah, it's, uh, it's funny that you bring up the few thousand dollars thing. Like our first year when we sold, when we did that, you know, that small $175,000 in sales, my traveling budget ate most of our profit. Mm -hmm. It did, but it was very, very worth it because, 
Um, this year when we started to scale up, everything ran much more smoothly and saved me a lot of money on the back end. And it also depends. The other thing is it also depends on like the product that you're producing. But I mean, I, I don't know. There's, I, I always just, I like to see for myself. And the other thing is I would say is try not to ever do business with a factory that you haven't seen in, in person. I mean, ordering samples is one thing, but like I would never, I don't, I, I, I've, I find it really hard to believe that people, um, people are placing purchase orders without ever meeting these people in person or seeing the facility that their products are being manufactured in. Yeah, totally. Speaking of that, like, like, are there any mistakes you've made growing this business or anything that you would do differently if you had to do it all over again? So mistakes that I've made, obviously in merchandising certain products, um, you know, we've, we've picked bad stuff, um, that, didn't sell at all. And luckily I ordered small quantities of those. Uh, but I, I guess I wouldn't really change that because we had to run tests. Like I said before, um, actually, you know what, we've had issues where one thing I'll tell you, I, with some of my factories got really excited on a certain product and ordered or got really excited about a certain factory and the pricing they were able to offer me and placed my first order far too large and got defective product. So we had another issue um, where I got about a hundred thousand dollars worth of product that was defective because the factory didn't put tape over the staples they used to close the boxes. So everything came with scratches on it. Um, and we had to kind of, I had to literally go buy these like touch up paint, um, go to our warehouse, hand paint a bunch of products, teach the guys there how to do it. And then only then we could sell it. Luckily we got ourselves out of that. But I, I would tell everybody like when you guys are working for a factory, Always remember the samples they show you are going to be pristine condition. The end result isn't going to be like that. So always start small as you can and then build your way up with that. that. That's like the biggest thing that I would do. And then the other thing I would say is that I probably would have started direct to consumer a little bit sooner um, just because I feel like a little bit behind the eight ball on that. I mean, it's okay. You don't know what you don't know. But now I know there's going to be a learning curve because we're going to have to figure out how to market this stuff ourselves. No, that's cool. That's cool. Yeah. Um, and yeah, without the mistakes, that's always a tricky question for me to ask because without the mistakes, you wouldn't be where you are today. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so it's not like you really like, oh yeah, would I do it differently? Yes. But at the same time, like learned a valuable lesson from it. It's not going to waste. Absolutely. And look, I, reg- I do, I don't regret anything. That's for yeah. sure. You know, that's, I didn't, luckily I haven't had anything. I always thought like this, like from the day that I started my business, and especially because I, you know, I want to be here for, I, I look at, this is something I could be doing for the next 20 years. I, as long as I'm not bankrupting my business, it's okay to make a mistake because I'll learn from it and get better. And that's kind of been my attitude with everything. So I'm cool with making mistakes. It's, it's, it's good. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great outlook on that. Before we sign off, do you have any closing thoughts or words of advice to end on? Honestly, just go for it. <laughs> that's, I don't know how, so your audience, the audience here is, is what they're already, it's a little bit more of a sophisticated audience, right? So they've all kind of started their businesses. Yeah. A a little more sophisticated, pretty established. They have small teams. They're, they're looking to scale, but at the same time, dude, I think that just go for it advice still applies because there's always that next leap that you need to take and you know, you need to take it. I believe in testing. That's the other thing. Like it's, I believe in testing product. I think it's okay to lose a little bit of money on the front end. I mean, we've tried to be pro I'm not, we're not venture backed or anything like that. So we've tried to be profitable with every right. single product that we sell, 
But you know what? Like you, you to get to the next level, you're almost always going to have to take one step back. So test, test, test. Um, you know, and I think the funny thing about entrepreneurship is you're always teetering the line between you know you have days that are great and it's like hey I know everything and days of like ah I know nothing <laughs> and I always I always yeah. try to like err on the I really don't know anything side and just uh, and just shoot you know like rapid fire and see what comes back to me if that makes sense yeah no don't don't waste any time just thinking of like how how to do it yeah. like just run into it you can only do so much pre planning yeah it's just do doing it is where the real value comes from yeah and then as little as you can spend on those tests is like fail quick and fail small that's the other thing yeah fail quick and fail small and then whatever works double it and then just keep love it. it yeah love it i love it i love it i especially love how you said there towards the beginning of this episode like you test products like you test facebook ads like that's so awesome so like one takeaway for me there is like what what are some places inside your business where uh, I'm not asking you personally, uh, Michael, but <laughs> I mean, like listeners, but like where inside your business could you be testing something that you're not currently testing? Like what could be improved? Because there's probably so many different things like like you could dive so deep. I mean, don't dive super deep yet. Start with the high level stuff. But I know for me, when I heard that, I thought, man, there's things in my own business that I could be testing and improving that I haven't been like I would test a Facebook ad. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, it's funny. I think we're in like an era um, we're in this like Facebook marketing era, you know, a lot of that has to do with like, um, you know, it's kind of like what's in pop culture right now. Facebook ads are kind of dominating everything and everything, you know, all the, the kind of like business propaganda that you hear. And a lot of it's true is like marketing, 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 marketing. And I think people forget about the product along the way. Um, and if you, and by the way, like mediocre product and amazing marketing, you can probably build a, a good business doing that. But if you have crap product, you're not going to get anywhere. Your marketing is just going to get you to fail quicker. If you have exceptional marketing on a really crappy product, the consumer is going to figure it out at the end. So, I mean, that's kind of where we placed a lot of our focus and definitely over the past year and a half. Yep. Totally agree. So many companies stop at the, they, they, they get the customer and then they just like, don't care anymore. And it's just, that's, that's so sad to see. And it, that's not going to work long-term. No. As we wrap up here, uh, thanks so much for coming on the show, Michael, where can we go to learn more about you and your company? Great. So our website is uh, www.sun haven. So S U N dash H A V E N.com. Uh, we're actually going to be overhauling that site completely uh, to we're doing a Shopify store direct to consumer. So that's going to change a lot over the next month or two. Nice. Um, yeah. And then we sell our products on Overstock, uh, Hayneedle, uh, Wayfair, as I said before. Um, Google us, Sunhaven Outdoor Furniture. You'll be able to find a bunch of stuff. Awesome. And, I, and I'll, I'll link you up in the show notes below. Sweet. Really appreciate you coming on the show, Michael. Awesome. Thanks so much for having me, Dylan. Now, listener, before I sign off, stop me if this sounds familiar. Your email marketing is stuck. You feel like you could be doing email better. You're not generating enough email revenue, and you feel like you're leaving money on the table. But you don't have the time to figure email out yourself or, or do it on your own because you have a business to run. Imagine this. Imagine not having to worry about leaving money on the table with your email marketing. Imagine not having to figure out what to send, when to send it, how many emails should look, what automation you need, what segments you need, how often you should be contacting your email list, or just worrying about sending the next email. You don't have to worry about any of that. Imagine having peace of mind knowing that your email marketing is generating sales in good hands. 
At Wavebreak, we help Shopify stores maximize their email marketing revenue. That's it. We don't do anything else. And we've created a system called the Wavebreak method that, number one, makes you less dependent on Facebook or other marketing channels. Let's say something bad happens. Facebook says, see you later, Shopify store, and they just completely kill your ad traffic overnight. You don't have to worry. You don't have to stress because you're good to go because you have a cushion of email revenue. You don't have to worry about how or what what your wife is going to do or if you're going to be able to make rent or if you're going to be able to pay people because you have this cushion of email revenue to rely on. Number two, the second thing this does is huge and it's how stores scale from seven figures to eight figures to nine figures. And the secret is repeat purchases. The Wavebreak method gets rid of one-time buyers and increases repeat orders. Number three, it keeps your email list engaged. You don't have to worry about Black Friday and beyond. We'll figure out the ideal amount of times that your list needs to be contacted to maximize revenue, and then we'll execute it for you. If you want to learn more about this system and how we can work together to apply it to your business, go to wavebreak.co to schedule a call with me. And I'll personally send you my calendar link and we can chat one-on-one. Now, I don't have unlimited time to do these calls. I can only do a couple of them per week. So if you want to get your call, uh, go sign up at wavebreak.co for it as soon as possible. And we can talk about how we can work together. Thanks for listening to this episode. Subscribe to the show on iTunes to get notified of new episodes as soon as they drop. 